Thank you, Pastor Xavier, and good morning, everyone. It's indeed an honor, a privilege, to stand behind this podium. And as Xavier mentioned, uh, we have been friends, uh, traveled together various places, including South America, and God has placed upon our heart a similar message. As I was coming in here this morning, I asked one of the ushers, I wonder if Xavier's counted the cost of having me come to speak today. I'm not really proud of the reputation that I may have based on the message that I've been called to share. It's a calling. And I want to begin from the beginning by sharing with you that I have a compassion. A compassion for those, my brothers, my sisters, who forgot the old paths. See, there's a tendency throughout Scripture for people to believe and then be deceived. Because, you see, you have to understand that Christianity is a battle. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against an unseen dimension, a spiritual realm. And the battle has been going on since the beginning, in the garden. And Christians who acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, are still in the battle. We're not immune. And the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world. And he has a plan to deceive. He's the great deceiver. He blinds the minds of the unbelieving, but of even those who have believed. Because an ultimate agenda, and that's to take with him as many as possible to a lost eternity. Now, Christians should be on the winning side. They are. But Christians can be part of the problem. They can be misled. And as they walk a life in the flesh, they can be influenced by the God of this world. And as I understand the scriptures, that's exactly what will happen before Jesus returns. Now, I've been given two sessions this morning. My first session I titled an Old Testament Perspective of the Accelerating New Testament Apostasy, subtitled, And the Judgment of the Modern-Day Church by a Just God. Well, that is a mouthful. But what my intentions are is to show you from the scriptures that what is happening in the world today is not unique. This is no surprise to God, and he's revealed to us in his word what has occurred before. 
Because whatever has occurred before can and will occur again. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 9 to 11. The thing that hath been is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. No remembrance. Why is that? Well, Satan doesn't want us to understand and remember that the very kinds of plans and agendas and deceptions that he has influenced people in the past, he'll continue. So it's very valuable for us to check out history. Our ministry, the Lord's ministry, that he's given us is called Understand the Times. Not understanding the times. Understand. There's an urgency. And if we're going to understand the times, we better understand the past. It's taken from a portion of the book of Chronicles that talks about the tribe of Ishikar. They were men. And I always take the liberty to include women. I, I believe that the tribe was made up of men and women who understood their times and had a knowledge of what Israel should do. Sure, it's okay to understand, but what are you going to do about it? And I thank God for conferences like this that not only present the problem, but also endeavor to present a solution. What are we going to do about the problem in the church today? And knowing that we have a problem, rather than just say, yeah, we got a problem, we got a problem. Let us look to God's word to proclaim the truth in the midst of darkness. The same thought is repeated in Ecclesiastes 3, 15 to 17. Solomon wrote, that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past, and moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Continuing verse 18 to 20. I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence over a beast. For all is vanity. All go unto one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust. Again, it can be somewhat depressing, but it's reality. Maybe it's time to stop and think. Dust to dust. One of my close friends and colleagues passed away just this week. Pastor Roger Cocker. A great brother. 
when we lose one of the warriors, one of those who stands up for the truth, it's deeply grieving. Thank God that there are still warriors. I thank God for Xavier, who's been on the front lines for many years. By the way, it's not easy. I said to my wife, maybe at this stage in my life I should just lay down. But I can't. When you've been called to warn, there's a passion that you just can't get rid of. Because we're facing a problem in our society, in the world and in the church. You know what it is? Judgment is coming. And I don't know of anybody, whether they're a Christian or not, who can't see that there's something wrong in the world. How can this continue? It can't. With regards to a coming judgment in relationship to what's occurred in the past, Jeremiah 11, chapter 9. And the Lord said to me, Conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I must continue to share with you the rest of this scripture because it's vitally important. You see, there is judgment. Jeremiah 11, verse 9, verse 10. They are turned back to the iniquity of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, have broken my covenant, which I have made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, and they shall not be able to escape. And although I will cry unto them, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods and whom they offer incense, but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. This portion of Scripture has been key to the ministry of Understand the Times. When I saw the pattern, as I read through the Old Testament for the first time, as a new believer, now somewhat 40 years ago, it seemed that, yes, history repeats itself. Nothing new under the sun. But what happens is that people turn away from God and they turn to the gods. That's Satan's agenda. You can't understand biblical history unless you understand this. They trust and believe in God and his word, but then they doubt God, they question God, and they believe Satan and they turn to the gods. And God always warns and then he brings judgment. And in the Old Testament, I mean, read it. Read the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets, and read what they had to say. They pleaded. Jeremiah pleaded with his generation. Turn away from the direction you're headed. They were following the gods. Get back to God and his word. Because judgment is coming. I like the prophet Micah. According to Concordance, 
his ministry from 737 698 BC. What I really like about it, he was a peasant farmer. He had a significant and humble status. He championed the cause of the meek, the poor. He was against the rich and the powerful. He warned about a coming judgment. Now I'm going to just give you a little glimpse of my own personal journey. Today when I drove here and I came down Colorado Boulevard, I had a flashback of when I was a child sitting at home watching the first television, black and white, that was in our living room. Now, I'll tell you that I grew up and lived through the 60s. I was born, I'll just tell you how old I am, in 1947. And I remember watching the Rose Bowl Parade. And of course, the Rose Bowl, you know, even though I'm a Canadian, uh, actually, I'm a dual citizen. I'm also an American, which brings up an interesting point. When I'm in Canada, I tell people I'm a Canadian. When I'm in the U.S., I tell people I'm an American. And I'm both. I'm a dual citizen. But you know what? I'm almost embarrassed to say I'm from North America. I'm a citizen of heaven. But as I was driving down Colorado Boulevard, I remembered watching the Rose Bowl parades on numerous occasions. And here I was driving down today to come to speak at a church. It gave me an interesting feeling. My dad is a farmer. His dad was a farmer. I grew up in a farm. I'm a farmer. My son is a farmer. And he has a two-year-old son who will, Lord willing, be a farmer. But God called me in 1988 to come to California. Actually, it was in 1981. I was part of a team came to Southern California to speak at a four-night conference at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. That's where I met Pastor Chuck Smith. 1988, he invited me to come on staff, which I did for three years. Then we launched our ministry, Understand the Times. And I was affiliated in some way with Calvary Chapels for over 20 years, traveling the world. But I'm a farmer. And I rely upon the word of God, the message that's inspired. And that's why I like Micah. Chapter 1, 1 to 3, the word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morishite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. 
For you, behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Temple. High places. See, they were worshiping the gods. Babylonianism. And Jeremiah had warned them. Micah is warning them. All of the Old Testament prophets are warning. Verses 4 to 5. And the mountain shall be molten under him. And the valley shall be cleft as wax before the fire and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. For the transgression of Jacob is all this. And for the sins of the house of Israel... What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Verses 6 to 9. Therefore I will make Samaria as the heap of the field and as the plantings of the vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned, with the fire and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate, for she gathered it out of the hire of a harlot, and they shall return to the hire of a harlot. Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls, for her wound is incurable, for it is come unto Judah. He has come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Pretty serious. It wasn't a warm and cuddly message. And it wasn't well received. Now, we live in the New Testament period of history. Time of God's grace. But here's my question. Does the time of God's grace and mercy have an end? Psalm seventy-eight, thirty-eight. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. God's a God of grace. But there's another side. Psalm 21, 9, Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Psalm 21, 9. See, we need to understand. The God of grace and mercy also is a God of wrath. And judgment. Now this is not a fire and brimstone message. But I have to be honest. It's in the Bible. And there's a time coming. In case you haven't heard. Revelation 6 verse 17. A time of God's wrath. Here's what it says. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? 
Now, the book of Jeremiah. And the theme for this conference is taken out of Jeremiah. 625, 586 B.C. And in my Bible, it kind of summarizes the character of Jeremiah. He was a warrior. He was a watchman. He was a witness. A warrior, a watchman, and a witness. Now, I need to share with you some verses. And I'm going to read them to you without putting them up on the screen. Because there's quite a few verses, and I want you to listen to them carefully. Jeremiah chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 to 9. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, then seek in the broad places thereof. If you can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, surely... These are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me into the great men, and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God, but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Wherefore, a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities." Everyone that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces because of their transgressions are many and their backslidings are increased. How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no, no gods. When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. You know, I pretty well have the entire chapter underlined. And, you know, for sake of time, I just can't share everything to you. But let's look at verses 10 to 15. Go ye up under her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, said the Lord. They have belied the Lord and said, It is not he, nor there shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword or famine. Verse 13, And the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them, thus shall it be done unto them. Wherefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because ye speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire in this people, wood, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon them from afar, O house of Israel, saith the Lord, it is a mighty nation. Judgment? Serious messages from the prophets. Verse 21 to 31. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord, will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, 
that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people have a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and God. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, and giveth rain both the former and the latter rain in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. It continues. Jeremiah pleaded with his generation. Chapter 6. We can read the entire book of Jeremiah. Verses 12 to 15. And their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch up my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. From the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And for the prophet, even to the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Verses 16 to 21. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. That's the theme of this conference. The old paths. Jeremiah was calling him to walk in the old paths. But they said, No. We're going to go the new, enlightened way. As we would say today, we're postmodern. We need to reinvent our faith for this generation so that it appeals to everyone. Nothing new under the sun. Chapter 7, verses 4 to 8. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt. You know, it seems that when people stray away from the old paths, they sometimes forget what's really important. And at this time, as in other times, sometimes we forget about those who have great needs, who are brothers and sisters. And I have to say, speaking to myself, If we had not encountered the loss of our son 10, 15 years ago now, 10 years ago we wouldn't have started a program to reach out to the hopeless Christians in other countries. I never would have thought of it. And over these past 10 years, some of the greatest blessings in our lives, in spite of being on the front lines and being attacked, is the blessings that are received 
when we see orphans and widows with smiles on their face. I'm not saying that everyone needs to do this. I'm just saying for me personally, I had overlooked it. I had neglected it. Sometimes we're too interested in ourselves. I was before I was a believer. It was all about me. By the way, that can even happen as a believer. It can become all about you. Pride. And sometimes God will humble us. That happened to me. 2009 when I nearly died. For a year, laid in bed, double vision, couldn't walk or talk because I fell off a tractor, injured my brain. I stand before you today as a miracle of God's grace. Jeremiah is full of references. Verses 23, 24. In chapter 7, but this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and he shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have even sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. So God sent the prophets to warn them. Loud and clear. Jeremiah chapter 8, 1 and 3. At that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of the princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. Hello? What were they doing? Babylonianism. And they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven whom they have loved and whom they have served and after whom they walked and whom they have sought and whom they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor be buried. They shall be for dung upon the face of the earth. And death shall be chosen rather than life by the residue of them that remain of this evil family, which remain in the places whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. They were back into Babylonianism, Babylonian practices. Can you imagine? Jeremiah was pleading with them. Get back to the old paths. In chapter 44, that all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and that all the women that stood by a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. 
But since we left off to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The Queen of Heaven. Now, if I was to develop this properly, we'd be here several days. The Queen of Heaven. I'm going to touch a little bit on this further as we get into other portions of Scripture. But for now, let me say this. I just came from Rome, Italy. At least I was there in July. Since then, I had to go back to Europe. I was in Switzerland and England and Scotland. But I was in Rome because I presented a paper on the environment at a university. And I presented a biblical perspective of the environment, and it was really not very friendly to the Pope's encyclical on the environment, in which he thinks all religions should get together based on the idea that God is evolution. I don't believe that. I believe that the Creator is Jesus Christ. But while I was in Rome, of course, I refreshed my memory with regards to the Queen of Heaven. That's another term that... Now my critics who are listening will be furious. And in Canada, they will want to remove our nonprofit status, saying that this is a hate crime. I don't really care. Who needs it? The queen of heaven is an abomination, according to scripture. So why would you call the queen of heaven Mary, the mother of Jesus? And you can go back in history and I'll show you where this comes from. So in Jeremiah, he's saying, you know, this is what they were doing. And they said, we're going to continue to burn incense. And they did. Now to Ezekiel chapter 8. And I have to share with you the entire chapter. So I will read it and try to be brief. But this really is the essence of my message. In my Bible, the heading for the chapter is the vision of the abominations. And it is with regards to the leaders the spiritual leaders in Israel. And God gave Ezekiel a supernatural experience. Call it a vision, call it whatever, but as you're going to see as I read it, it seems that an angel appeared to him. It was supernatural, and the angel revealed to him some certain things. Let us read Ezekiel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Then I behold a likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins, even downward fire, 
And from his loins even upward is the appearance of the brightness as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me into the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate, and looketh towards the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. Now, let me emphasize the word jealousy. It's used there twice. And behold, the glory of the God Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain and Said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way towards the north. So I lifted up my eyes the way towards the north. And behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. Sometimes words bring messages. And we don't have time. But I need to say a word about jealousy. Because jealousy within leadership brings great problems. And there was jealousy amongst the leaders, the spiritual leaders in Israel. And this supernatural experience where Ezekiel saw the idol of jealousy was before he went and looked through the hole in the wall where he saw what the leaders were doing. Now transpose this today. And I'll try to not to make specific references. But let's say there was a fellowship of pastors that formed a hierarchy. And I've been speaking a little bit about Rome. There's a hierarchy. Pope, cardinals, bishops, priests, and sheep. The poor sheep. Now, it's not just the Roman Catholic Church that has a hierarchy. That happens even in Protestant, if I can use the term. You know, next year the Reformation is over, they say. And the word Protestant has been relegated to a museum, some say. I don't. So, what I have discovered that when you have fellowships led by leaders, you're going to have jealousy. And they'll say, oh, no, everything is just fine. No, it's not. Because there's always a cardinal that wants to be the next pope. Now, having said that, let me continue. Ezekiel chapter 8. Verse 6. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? By the way, this is after he got a chance. Well, he's looked at the 
jealousy. He's looked at the idol of jealousy. See what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committed there, and I shall go far off from the sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me into the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged into the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do there. And so I went and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of the Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. In the midst of them stood Jezaniah. The son of Shaphan, every man his censer in his hand, a thick cloud of incense went up. Then they said to me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the chambers of his own imagery? For they say, The Lord sees us not, and the Lord hath forsaken the earth. He said also unto me, Turn yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which is towards the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Weeping for Tammuz. What was this about? Well, again, we need a history lesson, but I'm going to give you a quick overview based on documentation. Tammuz in all his forms is known as the god of fertility and agriculture. During the Sumerian festival of Tammuz, the king took on Tammuz's identity and mated with a priestess. This act was said to ensure the fertility of crops and animals for the year. Tammuz's retreat to the underworld generally said to occur at the summer solstice when the weather turns hot and dry brought the end of fertility of plants, animals, and humans. His return marked the restoration of plenty. Later observance of the Tammuz ritual was somewhat unique in that they were performed primarily for women, and while worship may have included celebrations for Tammuz's return, the morning of his death was emphasized more. The women's tears recalled the supposed tears of Ishtar and brought Tammuz back. That is what the women in the gate of the temple were doing in Ezekiel 8. It is easy to see why the Lord referred to this pagan observance as an abomination. A vile fertility god was being honored in the very place the one true God had sanctified for himself. See what was going on? Second Kings 23, 6-11. He took the obscene phallic Asherah pole from the temple of God to the valley of Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it up and ground up the ashes and scattered them to the cemetery. He tore out the rooms of the male sacred prostitutes that had been set up in the temple of God. Women also used these rooms for weavings for Asherah. He swept the outlying towns of Judah clean of priests and smashed the sex and religious shrines where they worked their trade from one end of the country to the other. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm just telling you that associated with the leadership of the children of Israel were these pagan Babylonian sex fertility practices. And where did that come from? Check out history. Go back to Babylon. Semiramis. Nimrod. We're supposed to have had a child by the name of Tammuz. Semiramis is the wife and mother of Nimrod. Nimrod was the sun god. Sun, the moon. And 
Tammuz was supposed to have been born December the 25th. Now this is Babylonian. These practices, these ideas were rooted in Babylonianism. And God had warned. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 18. See, I've set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, and that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. Thy Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, and so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to possess it. So essentially God said, if you trust in me and believe in me and my word, I will bless you. But if you fall away and you worship as the pagans, I'll wipe you out. In the book of Judges, chapter 2, 11 and 12, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which were brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. See the pattern? It happened throughout the Old Testament. It happened to the children of Israel. And by the way, there's nothing new under the sun. It's happening today. Do you know that there is a revival of ancient Babylonianism? Globally? But as I'll share with you later, it's happening in the church. The Asherah, associated with the Queen of Heaven, Phallic symbols on the high places. The high places. Phallic symbols associated with fertility goddesses. And children being sacrificed to the gods. Is it any wonder that God was angry? 2 Kings 23, 6-11. Even though these sects and religion priests did not defile the altar in the temple itself, they were part of the general priestly corruption. It had to go. When Josiah demolished the topeth, the iron furnace griddle set up on the valley of Ben-Hinnon for sacrificing children in the fire, no longer could anyone burn son or daughter to the god Moloch. This is history. 2 Kings 23, 12-16, the king proceeded to make a clean sweep of all the sects and religious shrines that had proliferated east of Jerusalem on the south slope of the Abomination Hill, once Solomon, king of Israel, built to the obscure Sidonian sex goddess, Ashtoreth. Second Kings 23, 12-16, he tore apart the altar, burned down the shrine, leaving it in ashes, and then lit fire to the phallic ashra pole. Worshipping the queen. Here's the documentation. 
Contrary to the claims of the scholars, the Bible does not attempt to cover up the existence of the Asher or that she, it, was worshipped in Israel. And I won't go through the scriptures. Very clear. You'll find mention of the Asherah in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Judges and 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Micah. Most of the descriptions suggest the Asherah was a carved tree or pole, probably representative of the goddess known as Asherah. The women who were making offerings to the Queen of Heaven admitted doing so out of their own superstitions. God was not keeping them safe enough, so they were covering their bases by making offerings too to other gods and goddesses of the surrounding peoples. Now, you know where I just saw an Asherah? St. Peter's Circle. It's actually called St. Peter's Square, but it looks like a circle to me. And right in the middle is an Asherah. In honor of the Queen of Heaven. How can anyone keep silent? Let alone, let's get together. Let's just have one big ecumenical party. I'm sorry. Not according to God's word. Now it gets worse. If we go on here, it talks about 25 men prostrating themselves to the sun. That's what the leaders of Israel were doing. Bowing down to the sun. That's also Babylonian. Let me give you some documentation. There's a direct connection between Freemasonry and the ancient Babylonian mystery religion from the ancient pagan religions of Egypt, Persia, Greece, and Rome eventually developed. It goes back to a man named Nimrod, whom the Freemasons view as the true originator of their order. Now I can just hear my critics. He's a conspiracy theorist. Well, if that's conspiracy, so be it. It's fact. Nimrod was the true originator of their order. Nimrod was a great Mesopotamian king who founded the city of Babylon and established the first great empire after Noah's flood. He's also traditionally associated with the Tower of Babel. By the way, that's not a picture, photograph, it's an illustration. I always have to clarify because, you know, I don't want to be guilty of fabrication. Somebody painted that. But we do know there was a Tower of Babel. And God was angered by men were doing. They were attempting to reach into the heavens. Not climb. They were far too intelligent. They were worshipping the sun. They were worshipping the moon. They were worshipping the gods. Nimrod. As we said, associated with Tammuz. Associated with the Queen of Heaven. According to tradition, Nimrod sought to turn men away from God by setting up a tyrannical government and setting up a new religion. In fact, the new religion centered around Nimrod and his wife Semiramis eventually evolved into the Baal worship from which all the pagan religions of the Middle East and Europe later developed. Not only that, according to the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, the legend of the craft of the old constitutions, Nimrod is one of the founders of masonry. I'm not making this up. Not everything on the internet is 100% gospel. 
Check it out. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I have been around Christianity long enough, about 40 years, to know that Christianity gets infiltrated. And what may start out right may end up wrong. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. And he has pawns. By the way, they don't have devil's horns on. And they write books. And they get in pulpits. And they start church growth programs. And they know how to work. They know what appeals to people's flesh. And you know, you can build a church horizontally. And it can be shallow. A lot of people. Maybe even 58,000 people attend weekly. Or you can have hundreds, maybe even thousands of pastors follow you online. And they repeat everything you say and give your messages weekly. Or it could even happen in a fellowship that starts out right and teaches the Bible verse by verse. Some people can infiltrate and they don't even know because they've read some books that's given them a new agenda. Oh, we got to modify Christianity to reach the postmoderns. There are numerous others who know how to infiltrate. Satan has many ways, but I'm just telling you. Two major groups, Jesuits and Masons. And if you think that I'm making this up, just give it some time. The Jeremiah Syndrome, as I wind this up, Twenty-three, one to 2 Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Woe be unto the pastors. See, God has called certain individuals to pastor the flock. Now, as I'm going to share with you this afternoon, we have the Good Shepherd. I heard reference to that this morning from the worship group. The Good Shepherd is Jesus Christ. And the shepherds that are called here today to shepherd the flock should follow the Good Shepherd. Not any man or his methods or his movement. Otherwise, it would be man-made. We should be following Jesus Christ and his word. And if that doesn't happen, then shepherds are not doing their job, and the sheep are being scattered, and they're not being protected. Jeremiah 23, 18-20, For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord, and hath received and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked, 
The anger of the Lord shall not return until he hath executed, until he hath performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days ye shall consider it perfectly. Now that speaks to me. I think we're in the latter of the latter days. And I think that this is a time to be analytical and critical. That's what many people say my biggest problem is. I got a scientific background, so I'm too analytical and critical and not so spiritual. I think we need to be biblical. And I think we're living in the last days. And my session, this next session, will deal with the apostasy that we read about in the New Testament that obviously is for the last days. Perilous times shall come. And we're going to talk about the New Testament warnings with regards to the apostasy. And then I'm going to conclude with, what can we do? Because I have hope. You know, as I've traveled these last several months, I've discovered there are a lot of churches. Oh, they're not many mega churches. Usually they're smaller, sometimes only 10 or 12. But there are pastors that are faithful in teaching the word, like right here. By the way, God seems to be putting them in, well, they're my friends. Last weekend I was in Wisconsin speaking at a conference. Pastor Dwight Duville, some of you heard of Dwight. He's sort of out in left field, according to his former colleagues. Because he's going the old path. Apparently that's too strange today. If you're going to reach the newer generation, you've got to leave the old path and you've got to find a new one. There are many, I shouldn't say many, there are some pastors, they're scattered throughout the United States, a few in Canada, in Europe, in Australia, New Zealand, everywhere, there are a few. And you know what they're saying? We want fellowship. Jeremiah 18, verse 8. They said, come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest." nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us smite him with the tongue. Let us not give heed to any of his words. It wasn't easy. For Jeremiah, for Ezekiel, for Micah. But it was necessary. Thank God there's still those that want to go on the old paths and stand for truth. Let's pray. Lord, your word is the truth. And your Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. And Lord, as I shared your word, which has been written down, 
so many years ago. It rings true. For what is happening today, it was true then, it's true today. So Lord, help us to gather from this one-day conference encouragement from your word so that when we leave this place, we'll be differently than we came because we've heard from you. In Jesus' name.